Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I am so pumped. Let's go. Let's do this. Here it is. Uh, this is the best ending of the Gospel of Mark. We get to talk about the resurrection today. So you've come for the best news of the good news of Jesus Christ today. He is risen. Amen. It's not Easter, but Jesus is alive every Sunday. So, you know, we had our first Easter service as a church this uh, last year where we celebrated um, our Savior rising from the dead. And, and that day has also been called Resurrection Sunday. But if you think about it, isn't every Sunday Resurrection Sunday? Jesus is alive today and forever. And we gather on Sundays for a reason, you know. We gather uh, not just because it's the convenience of the weekend, you know, you pile in AYSO soccer and church. We gather on Sundays because that was the day that Jesus defeated death when he conquered the grave. And the significance of that moment actually shifted how people even think about their weeks. For the Jews, the most important day was Saturday, the seventh day of the week, which was Sabbath day. But after Jesus appeared alive and when the day of Pentecost had come and the church was born, um, God was saving people. I mean, on the first day of the church, 3,000 were saved. Many, many Jews were being saved, and then God added to the Gentiles, and, and the church was just growing day by day, and it's still growing today, amen? Amen. But in time, the church began to gather on Sundays, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and we do that now. We, we continue celebrating each and every week the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, each Sunday that we gather, um, which, by the way, Hebrews tells us not to neglect the gathering um, as the day draws near, as is the habit of some. So, Good for being here today. We're supposed to gather. You know, we gather on Sundays in remembrance of the past, what Jesus has done for us. We gather in hopeful expectation for the future because we know that Christ is coming again and we will meet him. And we gather because every time we come together as God's people, we're asking him, Lord, what do you want to do today? What do you want to do in my life so that I can reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so every time we gather as his people, we are thinking about the past, we're thinking about the present, and we're thinking about the future. And so today we get to look in the testimony of that first Sunday. What happened on that day that Jesus rose from the dead, and what does that resurrection mean for you and I? So let's look in our Bibles. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 16 we're going to be starting off in verse 1 and going about halfway through, and then next week we'll finish this gospel. So beginning now at Mark chapter 16, verse 1, let me, let me pray, and then we'll read, we'll read the scripture. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, God, that you are alive and you are seated at the right hand of majesty in heaven, and you're living right now, God, to make intercession for us. And God, as I'm praying to you right now, Lord, asking that you would bless this morning as we gather as your people, Lord, we know you're praying for us right now. And Lord, you're praying for each person that has gathered here today because you want them to believe. You want them to trust you. And so God, send forth today your resurrection power into this place. Lord, let us not be the same after it. We pray in your name, amen. 
Amen. So it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 1, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So the first thing we see here is a time stamp, that the Sabbath was passed. And Mark has been giving us a chronological report of all the events that took place surrounding the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, which reminds us, and guys, this might seem like an obvious point, but I think it's worth saying is that the things that we read about in our Bible, they happened in real time and in real space. The Bible is historical record of real events that took place in real people's lives that bear witness to the reality of the real Jesus. And and these stories that we read in our Bible, they're not fables, they're not allegories, they are history, and, and that's what sets Christianity apart from other religions. These things really happened, and history proves it. And so the timestamp that Mark gives is that the Sabbath had passed. Jesus had been laid in the tomb by Joseph and Nicodemus on the day of preparation. And Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus was laid. That there was this stone that had been rolled over a tomb. This this grave that had been cut out of the side of the rock just outside the city of Jerusalem. Once that stone was rolled away, Joseph and Nicodemus went home. The women who were looking off from a distance went home. Everyone went to their places. And then the next day of Sabbath came. Now, now I doubt that anyone was experiencing any kind of rest on that Sabbath. I mean, think about it. All the people who loved Jesus were mourning. The disciples were cowering away in fear because they thought they might be the next ones crucified. The women who were bold and and courageous, who went out, were, were reviewing in their minds what they had seen as they watched their Savior crucified. Joseph and Nicodemus were wondering what the next steps were going to be for them now that they'd come out from being secret disciples and had handled and buried the body of Jesus. You know, how could these people, how could these disciples of Jesus rest on the Sabbath? Because their hearts were heavy with doubt. Their souls were burdened with sadness. Their minds were busy thinking about what had just happened and and what's going to come next. Their bodies were feeling weak and weary. And the one that they loved with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength was now dead. These disciples were not resting on that Sabbath. Now, the women, these few women, couldn't bear just sitting there in a closed-off room feeling this way. They needed to do something. So with boldness and courage, these women rise up from where they were. They took courage, and these three women go to the tomb of Jesus. We are given their names. It was Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. These three women were with Jesus at his death. They were the ones who, remember, were looking off from a distance, seeing Jesus hang there. They followed Joseph of Arimathea to the tomb. They watched where Jesus was laid, and so they knew where he had been put. And 
and, and they wanted to go see him. And they brought with them spices that they wanted to put inside of the tomb. Now, spices were used in burial to help uh, with the decaying process of the body as well as helping with the odors. I, I don't know if you remember when Lazarus was about to be raised from the dead. The, Jesus says, you know, remove, get ready for this to happen. And, and they said, but Lord, he stinketh. Right? And these faithful women, they, they, they wanted to serve Jesus by bringing these fragrant spices to their master. They wanted to bring it to his body to help with that. And so we read in verse 2 and 3, And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, one another Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So they, they woke up really early on the first day of the week, that was Sunday, and, and they were determined in their hearts to bring these spices to Jesus. And, and there was risk associated with this, you know? There were Roman guards that were keeping watch over the tomb. There was a lot of tension that was in the air at that time, both amongst the civil authorities and the religious authorities. But this wasn't going to stop the women from doing what they knew they wanted to do. They, they wanted to go be with Jesus. So they got up very early. When the sun had just risen, there was, there was just enough light from the dawn for them to see as they made their way to the tomb. Again, they knew exactly where it was because they had watched where Joseph laid Jesus in the tomb. And as they were going, they were still working through and processing all the risks and all the potential obstacles that might come about as they go and do this. Verse three, we, we hear what they were saying. They said, who will roll away the stone for us at the entrance of the tomb? You know, there's, there's already so much in this story so far that we could see these faithful women and we could commend them for their actions. I mean, think about these women. They were they were gathering up all of their emotions and they wanted to do an act of service for Jesus. It, it doesn't mean that these women didn't have fear. It doesn't mean that they didn't have emotions, but, but what we see is that they pressed through their fear and they pressed through their emotions. You know, these women were human, just like us. Normal humans with normal fears and normal emotions. And the one who they followed, the one that, that they ministered to and who ministered to them, was now dead. And as normal human beings, death is hard. Death is painful and sorrowful. So these women clearly had all of the emotions associated with the death of their best friend. But they got up early. And they went to meet Jesus at the tomb. They took courage, and, and they, they knew that it was the right thing to do for them. They weren't going to hide away in sorrow. They were going to rise up and process through the sorrow as they went to bring spices to the Lord. And look, they didn't have it all figured out as they were working through the grieving process. They, they said, who will roll away the stone?" They asked that as they were going. And, and look, they asked that, and, and clearly it was an obstacle in front of them. They asked, who's going to roll away the stone? But they didn't stop. They didn't say, oh, there's no use, and just turn around and leave. 
It, it didn't stop them in their tracks to know that there might be an obstacle in front of them. And look, I see this stone, this massive stone that was covering the tomb of Jesus as those big obstacles, whatever they might be, that we face in our lives. You know, the things that would keep us back from doing the acts of service that we want to do for the Lord. The obstacles that we know are way too big for us to move on our own. Do you have obstacles like that in your life? Way too big for you to carry on your own. And these women, they, they knew how big that stone was, and they knew that they wouldn't be able to move it themselves, but they still went. They still pressed forward, willing to face the obstacles that were in front of them. Now, what obstacles might there be in your life? What obstacles do you need to take courage, bring about boldness into your heart, and face the emotion, face the fear, and get up and go to Jesus? What stone is in the way of you doing what you know the Lord would have you to do? You know, we can take the example of these women who were so commendable for their actions and press on through the obstacles that might be ahead of us, and then guess what? Just watch and see how the Lord moves them. You, you know where the story's going. Verse four, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. I like that. Mark just says, it was very large. It was big. It was a big stone. Now we can talk about this stone being a picture of the obstacles in our lives, but we need to come back just to the simple fact that there was a rock in front of a grave that covered the tomb of Jesus. We need to get back to the just historical fact that there was a real physical stone, a massive stone that covered the tomb of Jesus and these women showed up early and that stone had been rolled away and it was very large. There was no way that these women rolled that stone away by themselves. It was very large. So who moved the stone and why was it moved? Well, let's look at verse five. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. So the women get there, right? The stones roll away, wonderful. We can go in, we can bring our spices to Jesus. I, who moved this for us? This is great. So they're all happy, ready to go in, bringing their spices, and as they duck in and enter the tomb, they see a man a young man in white sitting on the right side of the tomb. And, and they are freaked out. They are alarmed. Well, the reason for this is that this young man that was there was an angel. And usually in the Bible, when human beings come into the presence of angels, there's some alarm, there's some fear. It says in the other gospels that they fell down on their faces. Uh, other Gospels tells us that there were two angels there and they were in dazzling white. And, and when these women entered in with their little spices, they weren't expecting to see any angels. And, and let's talk for a moment about what their expectation was. Their expectation was they were gonna go bring spices to the dead body of Jesus. That was their expectation. No one was expecting Jesus' resurrection even though Jesus had told his disciples beforehand that that would happen. 
even though the scriptures testify in abundance uh, prophetically about the resurrection of Jesus, yet they didn't understand it. Yet these women came expecting to see the body of Jesus and instead they see an angel and it made them alarmed. Now, the angel was the one who moved away that stone. It says in Matthew's gospel that there was an earthquake and the earthquake and, and the angel somehow moved the stone out of the way and, and, and really simply this, angels do what God tells them to do. Angels are ministers and servants of God and so God sent the angel and said, move the stone because I'm gonna reveal that my son is risen. Did Jesus need the stone rolled away for him to rise from the dead? No. But God loves just in little ways to move away the stones, move away the obstacles that would keep us from seeing that Jesus is really alive. And so now they're in the tomb, they're freaking out because they've just seen an angel. This angel has the appearance of a young man dressed in a white robe. The detail of him sitting on the right side, by the way, it's just so good to me because what this does is it just gives even more evidence that this is clear eyewitness accounts. They reported it saying, yeah, I remember. I walked in, I looked right, and there was the angel on the right side. And then verse six says, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. There it is. That wonderful announcement, Jesus is alive. He's risen. He is not here. And you can go and you can read all four Gospels and read the different testimonies and details of what happened at the discovery of the empty tomb. And they're all the same. The tomb was empty. Jesus was not there. He was alive. And, and the disciples, they were alarmed, but then they, they're calmed down and they're told to take this very, very good news and to go tell others about it. We know who they were looking for. They were looking for Jesus. That's, that's the question that angel asked them. Who do you seek? Who are you looking for? He said, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified. Just for a moment, think about the way that Jesus is identified here. First, he was identified as the one who was from Nazareth. You know, if one of his disciples, I think Nathaniel or Philip said, can anything good come from that place? Um, when I tell people that I uh, moved here from Santa Barbara, I usually hear people say, wow, Santa Barbara, such a nice place, you know? But if I had moved here from Dinuba, I don't think I would be hearing anybody say, wow, you moved from Dinuba, that's such a nice place. You know, or pick your favorite terrible town of California. Dinuba happens to be mine. Nazareth was not a desirable place to be from. When you were from Nazareth, there wasn't people saying, oh, wow, you're from Nazareth? Now people might say that because of Jesus being from there. But then the angel says, you seek Jesus from Nazareth, the one who was crucified. How's that as a way to be identified, right? You seek Jesus, the man from Nowheresville who died of capital punishment. 
That's how they identified Jesus. Yet for Jesus, these humble identifiers have become his crown of glory. We read that Jesus from Nazareth, the one who is crucified in our hearts are said, yes, that is who we seek. And that's how the women responded they wanted to know where their humble teacher was. They saw how he was laid in the tomb. Three days ago, they witnessed him put there. Now he's not there. Where is he? He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And so this alarm turns to amazement as the women look on the table where Jesus was laid and all they see there was an empty table with just the linen shroud that they had watched Joseph of Arimathea lay Jesus in but there was no body in that shroud there it was empty he is risen he is alive and then in verse 7 the angel says uh, and tells them but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Isn't it amazing that you've got these bold and active women who made the discovery of the empty tomb? These amazing women who, who were faithful and they need to go because the disciples are cowering away in fear They need to go. They need to go tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. Notice what it says, that he's going to go to Galilee. Jesus is going to Galilee because it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to over 500 people at once. But before that, he wanted to appear to his disciples, especially Peter. And and notice what it says, that, that go tell his disciples. Even though these men had all abandoned Jesus... Even though they were all hiding, locked up in fear, in their homes, sorrowful, they were still his disciples. Nothing changed the way that Jesus loved these men and the plans that he had in store for them. He chose them. The Father had put these disciples into Jesus' hands, and he wasn't going to lose any of them. They were his disciples. And then the angel separates out Peter from the rest. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Is it because Peter's not one of his disciples? No. There are several reasons for why Peter gets separated out. Perhaps it's because Peter's denial and rejection was so much worse than the others. We remember how before the rooster crowed twice, Jesus or Peter denied him three times. But Jesus had a plan. He wanted to restore Peter. He would meet with him, and he would repeat three times this process of restoration for Peter. Perhaps it was because of the unique role that Peter would play in the early church, that he would be the one who would stand up on the day of Pentecost and be the first to declare uh, the message of the gospel that Jesus was alive. Whatever the reason, the simple fact is that the disciples and Peter needed to know that Jesus was alive. I don't know if you are one of his disciples. You belong to Jesus. But I know that I can be his disciple, 
but I can really lack the confidence of the resurrection where I can be hidden away in fear and sorrow. I can be doubtful in my heart. And Jesus knows that he just needs to come to you and he needs to show himself to you. I pray that today, as we just hear again the testimony of the resurrection, if you're in a funk as his disciple, guys, Jesus is alive. Amen? He's alive. And the disciples needed to know that. And so, verse eight, they went out, fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, this was a lot to take in for these women. They were feeling all the feelings. They were running as fast as they can. It says they were fleeing. They were trembling. They were having a physiological reaction to all that they had just seen. They saw an angel. They saw an empty tomb. They needed to now go and run and tell the disciples about this. They're trying to process it as they're running ahead. Maybe stop. What are we going to, it almost seems like the women, they ran and they just got scattered from each other because they're just like, this is mind-blowing. And they're going as quickly as they can to tell the disciples and the other gospels that tell us that along the way, Jesus appeared to some of them. Mark also tells us in the next verse how he appeared to Mary Magdalene. We're told in John's gospel that Mary was found weeping next to the tomb and, and someone came and spoke to her and said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And Mary's just crying. She's got her face down and it says that she thought it was the gardener. And then Jesus was there and he said, Mary. And as soon as Mary heard Jesus say her name she knew who it was you know the sheep know his voice she perks up and she looks around and it's Jesus and she runs and it says in John chapter 20 of the whole interaction that she clung to him and she just wouldn't let him go Um, but Mary had to go she had to go tell the disciples look at verse 9 Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now you know why Mary was weeping and why Mary was clinging to Jesus. You know, the Bible says those who have been forgiven much love much. Mary knew her past. Mary knew that at one time she had seven demons. But Jesus came and delivered her. This woman's life was radically transformed by Jesus Christ. And so she had the privilege of being the first one that Jesus appeared to. to. And um, I love that idea that she clung to Jesus and she wouldn't let him go. But Jesus tells her to go and tell the other disciples. We see that in verse 10. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had seen her, or been seen by her, they would not believe it. So Mary eventually, right, makes it back to the disciples, finds them, says they were mourning and weeping. Three days has already gone by and they're still in the same condition. 
The death of Jesus had just attacked their hearts with grief, with mourning. They were full of shame because they had abandoned Jesus. But Mary comes bringing the best news ever, the news that they should have expected. I kind of tried to imagine what it was like for Mary to come to report this news. We just kind of get the simple detail that like Mary came and told him he was alive. I don't think it was like, guys, he's alive. Okay, peace out. I, I, I get the sense that Mary comes in. She's like, guys, guys, I woke up really early this morning. I couldn't sleep. I know you guys haven't been able to either. I, I gathered up some spices with the others. And when we got to the tomb, the stone, that stone that I watched rolled into place. It, it was gone. It was rolled away. And, and I went inside the open door of this tomb and I saw this angel sitting there. I was freaked out, but he told us Jesus wasn't there. Jesus had risen, and I looked in the place where they laid him, and sure enough, Jesus was not there. The stuff that he was wrapped in, the, the linen, that was there, but Jesus wasn't there anymore. He was gone. And they, then the angel told me, instructed me, I gotta come tell you guys, especially Peter. Where's Peter? Peter, Peter, I, where's Peter? We gotta tell Peter. You have to hear this. Jesus is alive. He is not dead. He's risen. Guys, this is incredible. Remember how he told us this stuff. I, I was crying because I didn't know where he'd gone, and then someone came over and asked me why I was crying. I thought it was a gardener, but it was Jesus, you guys. He appeared to me. He, he, he said my name, and it was Jesus, and I walked up, and I just hugged him, and I didn't want to let him go, but he told me I have to come tell you guys, so I'm telling you guys, Jesus is alive. You have to believe this. This is amazing. He also told me he's coming. He's going to show himself to you as well, and the disciples are like, ah, no, we don't believe that. They would not believe it. Those are hard words to read. And, and as one who believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it, it is hard for me to know that there are still people who have heard the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and have still not believed. It's not that people haven't heard the testimony of it. It's not that there are no eyewitness verifications to the authenticity of these things. That there's not countless testimonies of the people around you who have had their lives transformed by Jesus. But it's because of unbelief and hardness of hearts that makes people say, I won't believe this. And if you're here this morning, if you not believe this, if, if you've hardened your heart to Jesus, you don't buy into this fact that Jesus died on a cross for your sins and that he was buried and rose from the dead three days later. If you don't believe that, that's a tough spot to be in. I'm, I'm sorry if you don't believe that. If you won't trust in faith that this really happened, then you are rejecting God's very best way that he knows how to tell you that he loves you, that he has saved you from death, that he has offered freely to you the gift of eternal life and has brought you out of death and given you everything. If you won't believe, you 
you're rejecting God's best way that he knows how to tell you all this, that he loves you. But I know that I have a God who can roll away stones from graves, that he can conquer death, that he can bring forth the way, the truth, and the life where, where he'll obliterate your stony heart if you confess your sins to him and say, Jesus, I need you. Now, what I've done so far in this sermon is I have simply testified of the written record of the resurrection. I've only walked us through the story, tried to explain some of the details, um, and I haven't even addressed yet what the resurrection means for us as Christians. Do you know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do you know what it means for you if you're a Christian? I'm sure you do. Let me just tell you a couple things that it means. The first thing is it means that if you've died with Christ, you're also risen with Christ. It means that, that Jesus, as it says, he is the firstborn from the dead. Colossians chapter one and Revelation chapter one tells us that. He went first to show us how it's done. Because you see, in the Bible, what we understand is that if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you follow in the steps of Jesus. You, if you've, died with him, you've died to yourself, you will also be raised with him. And, and we are speaking about a bodily resurrection that is to take place. You know, we see in the Bible that some people were raised from the dead. But, but no one was, up until this point when Jesus was resurrected, no one had ever been resurrected. You say, well, what about Lazarus? What about Jairus' daughter? Weren't they resurrected? No, they were not resurrected. Those people were resuscitated because they all died again. Lazarus, yes, he came from the grave and that was a powerful miracle, but Lazarus died again. That 12-year-old girl grew old. She died again. Only Jesus was resurrected where he came back to life and never died again. Which means that if you've put your hope and your trust in Jesus, you will be raised up after death and you will never die again. You will not taste the second death. You will live forever for eternity with Jesus. And then another thing, another favorite part about the resurrection is that it's like a receipt. You know, it's like a proof of purchase. You know, Jesus on the cross said, tetalistai, it was this word that means paid in full. We sang it this morning, our debts have been paid in full. You wanna know what the resurrection is? It's the receipt to prove that your sins have been paid in full. So if you ever wanna prove it, either to yourself or to the world or to the devil or to anyone, bust out that receipt of the resurrection and say, it is true. My sins have been paid for, I have access to heaven and I have a resurrection body waiting for me and it's so much better than what I got going here, right? It's the receipts. You have the receipt to eternal life, the proof of purchase for your salvation. We could talk about all the amazing benefits of the resurrection and after service today, guys, I encourage you that as you're talking amongst each other after service today, you just talk about what's one benefit of the resurrection? Let the gospel be on our lips this morning. Let us go out and say, this, this is the benefit of the resurrection. So talk amongst that today. Seriously, let's, let's get in the habit of talking about the gospel and the amazing implications of it. 
Well, Jesus kept moving along. He kept appearing to people, and he hasn't stopped. Look at verse 12 and 13. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Luke's gospel tells us how these were two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were walking with Jesus. They didn't know it was him because it says he appeared in a different form. And they're like, wait, you didn't hear it? Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and he was buried. But then some women said today that he was risen from the dead and they didn't know they were walking with Jesus. And then they get back to, to um, Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. They sit down at a table. Jesus starts breaking bread and then it's like revealed. This is Jesus who we've been talking to. He's the one who just walked us through the scriptures and showed how, how Christ is all through the Old Testament. And then they go back and they go tell the disciples, guys, 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 we saw Jesus. He broke bread in front of us and we saw him. He is alive. But they did not believe them. Twice now, the disciples have had eyewitness testimonies come to them and say, Jesus is alive. But they, they didn't believe. And as we end here this morning, I want to read to you one scripture from 1 John chapter 5 that talks about how you and I receive testimonies all the time. You go to a restaurant and you ask, what's good on the menu? You believe the testimony of your waiter, don't you? We, we receive testimonies all the time. 1 John chapter 5, verse 9 through 12 says, if we receive the testimony of men, which I know you guys do all the time, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and life is in his son. Listen to this. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the testimony of God. Jesus came and he rebuked his disciples for their hard-heartedness and their unbelief. Do you realize how great of a sin unbelief in is? A lot of times we think of, you know, oh, I'm trying to believe, and I understand that. I understand how, you know, uh, we see in the Gospels, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, I, un I understand that there's times that our hearts get hard and unbelieving, but do you realize the gravity and the weight of sin that unbelief is? Because unbelief is essentially saying, God, you are a liar. And what could be worse than that? To call the God of truth a liar. And the disciples refused to believe the testimony of multiple witnesses. And, and look, God chose that he would make himself known through people, through witnesses, human witnesses. He could have used angels, he didn't. The angels weren't the ones who were going around to tell the disciples. The angels told the woman, go and tell the disciples. We're going to see next week that we have been sent to go and tell of the gospel. God uses human witnesses to reveal himself to you. 
we have the testimony of God through human witnesses, but thanks be to God that, that God didn't stop there. He revealed himself in the resurrection. He'll push through whatever obstacles of unbelief you might have, but God wants you to believe. Verse 14, after he appeared to the 11, as they were reclining at the table, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him risen. Jesus showed up to the disciples. He, he loved them. They were his disciples. He says, peace be to you. He let them stick their hands in his wounds. He breathed the Holy Spirit into them, but he also rebuked them for their hard hearts and for their unbelief. And, and I don't know if you're here today and you're a disciple of Jesus. Jesus is here to draw near to you and show his kindness and his peace and his love and to give his spirit to you. But, but sometimes for him to do those things, you gotta be rebuked for your hard heart and for your unbelief. Let the stone that, that blocks your heart from the goodness of God be rolled away this morning. Jesus is alive. Do you believe that Jesus is alive? Do you have the Son of God? If you do, you have life. If you don't, you don't have life. We're talking about resurrection life. And only those who know the Son have this life. Amen? Amen. Lord, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the empty tomb, the receipt of our, of our sins being paid in full at the cross. No longer do we need to hide away in fear and in shame and in regret. But Lord, because you are alive, we get to sing with joy. We get to have peace within our hearts. We get to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of us. So Lord, what would cause our hearts to be hard today? What would cause us to remain in a place of unbelief? Lord Jesus, rebuke that if it's in any of our hearts today. And Lord, would you magnify yourself in our midst? Would you, with your resurrection power, show yourself as good and faithful and true? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.